You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought. From Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. Thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm Rebecca King. And today, we're kicking off a two-part series on superheroes. In this episode, we'll mostly be focusing on the heroes themselves. What makes someone a superhero? What criteria must a caped crusader meet? Dr. Peter Coogan has been studying superheroes for the last 20 or so years, and has written extensively on just this subject. He is the founder and director of internal operations at the Institute for Comic Studies, and he is the co-founder of the Comic Arts Conference. He has also lectured at numerous conferences and universities, including Washington University in St. Louis. When defining superheroes, he says, the first key is differentiating the superheroes from the superheroes. There's a difference between the superhero and the superhero. So that iota, which is literally that tiniest small space in between the R and the H in superhero, that makes all the difference. And this is the major source of confusion about superheroes when people talk about superheroes. Because there are heroes who are super, superheroes. And their super is an adjective that modifies a hero, and it means powers, some sort of ability beyond ordinary people and hero, some kind of a pro-social, selfless mission. You go back to Gilgamesh, Hercules, you know, these mythological figures, Jason and the Argonauts. Jason and the Argonauts is basically the Justice League of the Avengers. You bring together these heroes from across the pantheon, specialized. So that you have all of those figures, and they are superheroes, heroes who are super, and they're all over the place. But superheroes are a genre that arose with Superman. It comes from a certain place, but it's specific to the American culture that produced it in the late 1930s. It's a reaction to modernism. It's okay, not exactly the fulfillment, but the end of a long train of kind of evolution. So superheroes aren't just heroes with superpowers. These figures and their tropes now pervade much of our culture. Superheroes are actually a genre. There is a superhero genre, and we know it because if Iron Man 3 and Zorro 3 came out the same weekend and your friend said, do you want to go see a superhero movie? You would go see Iron Man. You would not go see Zorro. But without that direct comparison, Zorro kind of falls into it. We'll talk more about the genre of superheroes later. For now, let's consider these caped crusaders. What makes a hero a superhero? Dr. Coogan has identified three important criteria. It's mission, and a mission is pro-social and selfless. The hero is driven to do good. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's selfless, so they don't get anything out of it. And it's pro-social. In other words, it fits in with the general cultural mores of the culture that the hero represents, because heroes represent their culture's best qualities. What this would mean is, 
if the Germans during World War II had produced superheroes, they would be Nazi superheroes. So the hero is going to always represent the best a culture represents. And that includes physically. Ever wonder why Clark Kent, Bruce Wayne, and Captain America were so darn handsome? Well, it's no coincidence. We represent moral goodness and so forth in a physical form. The Hulk TV show, kids couldn't understand the Hulk as a good guy because he looked ugly. So their exterior represents their interior, right? Superhero symbolizes all of the good of the culture. The hero symbolizes all of the good of the culture. So that's the first thing. You have to have that. If you don't have a mission that's pro-social and selfless, you're not a superhero. You know, you're not a hero. You're not heroic. The next thing is power. So superpowers, advanced technology, heightened mental, physical, psychic abilities, any kind of thing that makes you able to do something that somebody else can't do. And it has to be heightened in some way. For example, if I have a gun, I can shoot. Like, I can't do that with my fingers. That's not extraordinary. That's something anybody can have. The idea of the super in it raises it up above what it would be. And that's why you have, you know, extensions of the physical body. We can all run. Superhero can run fast. Our skin protects our insides. Well, superhero is invulnerable. We can all lift things, so a superhero can lift more. And exactly where does that fall? What makes it, you know, super and what makes it just kind of ordinary? It varies. Batman's obviously a human being, but he also operates on the Justice League alongside Green Lantern. Hawkeye, yeah, he's got arrows, but he's very good uh, targeting and that kind of stuff. But a lot of heroes have amazing powers. Luke Skywalker, Gilgamesh, Achilles, even Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So what separates these rather superheroes from superheroes like Superman and Captain America? It's the identity. The identity is the third thing. So what makes Superman different from the Shadow or Zorro or figures like that? Well, he's got the code name. Code name is the same. You have the Shadow, you have Duck Savage. That represents something about either their biography or their personality. So the Shadow is this shadowy presence that nobody really knows about, but is doing good. Duck Savage is the combination of the rationality of a doctor and the fighting ability of a savage. Zorro is a fox, in Spanish for fox, like they can't catch him. So that was there before. What's different is that the superhero costume iconically represents the hero. If you look at a man in a costume and he's a big bat on his chest, it's Batman. He has a big spider on his chest. It's Spider-Man. If you have these four people who have fours on their outfits and they're doing fantastic things, they're the Fantastic Four. The Hulk looks like a Hulk. The thing is a thing. They iconically represent themselves. If you think of a fox, you know, little ears, a tail. Yeah, Don Diego's not running around with a tail. He doesn't iconically represent, and that's where the superhero, that's where the identity, that's why the costume is so important, because it clearly conveys some idea about them. Batman's bat represents the bat that came through his window and gave him his mission. Spider-Man's spider represents the spider who gave him his superpowers. Superman's S represents his superness, because he's more than what we are as human beings. Those three things together, mission, powers, and identity, are the core of the superhero genre. Of course, there are always slight variations to these rules. Maybe a superhero has mission and identity, but his powers aren't very super. That's where the wider question of genre comes in. 
Take Batman, for instance. You know, Batman doesn't have superpowers, although I wouldn't fight him. But, you know, he's got a clear identity. He's got a clear mission. The Hulk, he's got superpowers. He's got a code name. And his body is his costume. He looks like a Hulk. But he has no mission. He just kind of wanders around and stuff happens to him. But he's got those other two things. The other thing is there's all the rest of the genre. So they fight costume supervillains. They're on superhero teams. There's super science set in the city. You know, it's very hard to have a superhero in the country. It's very hard to have superheroes before the modern era because there aren't police forces and there isn't, there isn't crime in the same sense. It's just not conceptualized in that way. So that's the thing. It's what I call generic distinction. And it's all those other things. So if one of the three core characteristics is weak, you have enough of that other stuff that keeps it in there. Now you take a figure like Angel from the spinoff of the Buffy series. He's a vampire. He has superpowers. He's even got a code name. Angel represents his shift that, from his biography of when he went from being a bad vampire to a good vampire. And he's out trying to do good. He actually tries to selflessly help people. But if you put him in a costume, it would change the whole show. It would look a little bit ridiculous. And that's what happens is that you can tell it's a superhero story if things that would be ridiculous in another setting are perfectly reasonable. So what are the hallmarks of the superhero genre? Well, much of it was laid out in its very inception. In Action Comics number 1, which debuted in 1938 and features the one and only Superman. Superman. Up in the sky, look, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. And now, Superman, eighth wonder of the modern world, visitor from a distant planet whose strength knows no limits, whose endurance is beyond anything humanity has ever known. The very first page of Action Comics has most of the conventions. It has the origin, it has super science, it has mission, powers, and identity. It's got the urban setting, it's got the kind of overcoming modernism, because he's leaping over the skyscraper, he's lifting up girders. He's doing all kinds of things that are rooted in that time period. But he's got the identity, it's got the public, it's got everything in it, you know, except it doesn't have the, the, the sort of larger conventions of hero stories like the damsel in distress. It doesn't have the supervillain. But for the things that matter for the superhero genre, they're all right there in like 13 panels. And then if you look at the rest of the issue, it picks up most of the rest of them except for the supervillain. And within the superhero genre, supervillains have certain criteria that they must meet as well. Ever wonder why supervillains monologue so much just before their moment of triumph? The primary thing is that supervillains are antisocial and selfish, but it all comes out of their wound, like, you know, monologuing. What happens is supervillains get wounded, and sometimes it's in childhood, and this drives them. So with Lex Luthor in the 1950s, it's because Superboy blew chemicals onto his head and it made him bald. But, you know, Dr. Doom, his machine blows up. But there's some deep wound, and then they're in love with the story of their wound. That's a therapist idea. That drives their mission, and what they want to do is they want to be healed. But he has to talk because the supervillain needs to control the world. Like something happened to them that they lost control. So they create a world of language. But the other thing is that they, they want the superhero who represents all those positive qualities, who represents society, to recuperate them. 
And the superhero frequently, after the monologue, is not, oh, I understand you, I get it, is, you're pathetic. And that drives a supervillain crazy. So supervillains have to have that wound that drives them, and everything comes out of that. A supervillain is a criminal artist, wants to transform the world. You see that in the, uh, the Batman movie with Jack Nicholson, where he says, I'm the first homicidal artist. Right? It's not just money, it's about a bigger idea. And what they really want to do is rewrite the world. There's this mania that they develop. Again, it comes out of that wound, and, but it also comes out of their vision. And they see themselves as the center of the universe. There's this great scene in the Flash Gordon serials with Ming. And Flash Gordon says, look, Ming, we're not fighting to save just Earth. We're fighting to save the universe. And Ming looks at him like he's crazy and goes, I am the universe. <laughs> it's just like the French king, you know, I am the state. I am the universe. The supervillain is solipsistic because they see themselves as the center of everything. Because that wound, you know, this happens to people with real psychological problems, is that something happens to them and their whole life folds into that. And the difference is that the supervillain can, in fact, do something about that because they have usually superior charisma, intelligence, money, some kind of power. Superheroes and supervillains are two equal and opposing forces in the superhero genre. One is trying to save the world, and the other is bent on destroying it for their own gain. Join us next week for part two of our superhero special as we travel further into the genre to track the rise of the anti-hero, the evolution of the tropes, and how the superhero genre is both rooted in and reflective of the modern American mythology. Thanks again for tuning in, and many thanks to Dr. Peter Coogan for talking with us this week. If you're interested in reading more about his work, check out his book, Superhero, The Secret Origin of a Genre, and the anthology, What is a Superhero? As always, you can find Hold That Thought at holdthatthought.wustl.edu. That's holdthatthought.wustl.edu. See you next week!